0: All right, we started a new series last week um, called The Joy. It's called Renew Your Strength, right? Uh, And uh, we're going to be talking specifically about the concept that we looked at last week, which was from Nehemiah 8.10, that the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Joy is the heart of strength. Joy makes easy things fun, and it makes hard things doable opposite is also true if we lose our joy right easy things become hard and hard things can sometimes become impossible I went for a run last week I don't know if you guys remember that crazy windy day 25 mile an hour winds right and as I'm heading out I'm running into the wind and um, it was hard work (laughs) my pace was like several minutes below what I'm normally running at that heart rate and uh it was it was grueling right they say that the first mile of any run is a liar um the first mile of that run was definitely a liar i mean i felt i was going to die right and then coming back holy cow i felt like i was running with the wind that wind just 25 miles an hour at your back i mean i'm like i'm i am ready for race day i was flying y'all that's how joy works right that's how joy works when when we don't have joy we are walking into the headwind of life everything's harder Everything's harder. When we don't have joy, um, it is like you are slogging up a mud hill and you can't get traction. Getting up in the morning is hard. Going to work is hard. Relating to your family is hard. Just being pleasant can be hard, right? But when we have joy, man, when we have joy, it lights us up, it gives us energy. It, 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 it is a tailwind that carries us along. All joy is good right and all joy will do this but it's the joy of the lord that gives genuine strength lasting enduring strength right i can take joy from my circumstances right some of y'all are really really thrilled kansas city's in the super bowl this afternoon right you get joy from that right or at least a little bit of anxiety because you know how they end up choking most of the time but hopefully not this year hopefully not this year um but 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 here's the thing when you take joy from your circumstances as soon as those circumstances change you lose your joy right there are going to be some people who one way or the other are going to be devastated by tonight right a lot of joy and anticipation going into the game somebody's going to be devastated coming out we talk about the joy of the Lord we're talking about a joy that gives us energy from the inside instead of from the circumstances outside It's the kind of joy that actually carries us through life instead of um, us finding, you know, joy from the circumstances. This is is the kind of joy that's transcendent to our circumstances. It doesn't feed off of our circumstances. It carries us through those circumstances. And today, uh, we're going to be digging into one of the most pernicious and persistent enemies of that joy, a little green gremlin called discontent something that we all at times will struggle with it is this nagging sense that if I just had a little more then my joy would be full now here's the thing few things seduce our hope for joy like money few things right money just makes all kinds of promises if I just had a little bit more money if I just had a little bit more money and you can fill in the blank, right? It, it is, it's the thing though that, that money makes promises it can't keep. It, it, it robs us in the end. And it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money which we'll be looking at. But here's the thing, if we want to be strong, if we genuine, genuinely want to renew our strength, we need to be growing in the joy of the Lord and not just the joy of our stuff. okay. So we're looking at First Timothy chapter six this morning. So why don't you open your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 6? Uh, if you're using your app, go ahead and open your app, just be sure to close social media and stuff like that, don't want you distracted, uh, and don't forget to silence it, we don't need crickets going off in the middle of the service, um, and, uh, and, and if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you, if you look on the trays underneath the chairs around you, you'll see Bibles around you, and uh, in our Bibles, we're going over to page 993, page 993, uh, to First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be looking specifically at um, uh, verse, I forget which verse, but we're going to look at, at this whole passage of 6 through 10. Starting in verse 6. First Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, um, one of the greatest enemies to our joy is this gnawing presence of discontentment. It is a a restless hunger that continually whispers, "This isn't enough. You don't have enough." It's not good enough. Uh, It's not restful enough, luxurious enough, fast enough. I don't have enough. I need more. And uh, and you guys know how easily that can be triggered, right? (laughs) You got a perfectly fine functioning kitchen and then you open a magazine and you're like, ooh, look at those bright countertops. So those are nice, and look at those cabinets—they're like new. They're bright, and the handles are like fancy, and the stainless steel stuff. The stove with the big—whoo! I think my life would be better if I was throwing trash away in that kitchen <laughs> instead of mine. If I had bright countertops, I would enjoy cutting up my salad more. If I had that stove, I would enjoy making my chili even more than on my current stove, right? It just, we don't go to that extreme, like rationally going out to the, no, it's just this gnawing sense that's better than what I have. It can be a kitchen, it can be a car, right? Your car's fully functional, takes you where you want to go. It has a working heater and air conditioner, right? And 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 it accelerates, not great, but it does. And you get in your neighbor's car, and they've got that thing on the dash that's like so much cooler than the thing on your dash. Maybe you don't even have a thing on your dash, and their dash is like I don't know, like an entertainment center. And you're like, oh, I want to have an entertainment center on my dash. Why don't I have an entertainment? And then they accelerate, and you're like, oh, that thing goes fast. I want to go fast, right? And so pretty soon, every time you get in your car. You're not thinking about where you need to go, you're thinking about how you could be getting there in more style. Every time you pull up to a stoplight, you're like, I wonder what they think of me in this car. (laughs) I know what they would think of me if I was in that car, right, kitchen, cars, abs, right? Uh, Appliances, vacation pictures, right? You have this great vacation, you go to Kentucky Lake, you rent a pontoon boat, it was awesome. And then you see your friend who went to the Caribbean and they snorkeled with sharks and you're like, I couldn't even see in the water, it's so murky, right? I need that vacation. It can be anything. It can be anything. See, there's a formula that works in our mind and it looks like this. If I just had, then I could feel. You go ahead and fill in the blanks. It's going to be different than your neighbor, but I guarantee you can fill in the blanks. If I just had, then I could feel. If I just had a bigger house, then I could feel organized. If I just had a nicer car, then I could feel more important. If I just had a better vacation, then I could feel more rested. If I just had more money, then I could feel more secure. See, it seems so reasonable, doesn't it? It seems like a really, really logical formula. The problem is that it feeds on and builds discontent. That formula is an expression of discontent and it only builds and increases the discontent. Discontent presents itself like a hunger that needs to be fed. The problem is the more you feed it, the more discontent you become. It looks a little bit like this. If we were to turn it into an equation, what I have plus a little more equals what I want. If I I look at what I have, and I think if I could just have what? A little more. A little more time, a little more vacation, a little more luxury, a little more significance in my workplace, a little more honor, a little more free time, right? If I take what I have and just add a little bit more, then I will have what I want. The problem with this mathematics thing is that it never adds up. See, when you take what you have and you add a little more, guess what you get? You don't get what you want. You get what I have. It just cycles. What I have plus a little bit more just becomes what I have. <laughs> and guess where I'm left? Needing a little more. You never get the payoff. You never get to the end of the equation. Ecclesiastes 5.10 Solomon, in his ancient wisdom, puts it this way. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. See, money can't give you what it promises to give. And if you love your wealth, you'll never be satisfied with your income. Because to love it means that you look to it to meet your deepest needs to love it means that you look to your money you look to your wealth you look to your things and you ask those things to do for you what only God can do and be for you what only God can be and they can't that's why it's vanity (laughs) we're not talking about vanity like you think too highly of yourself when you look in the mirror vanity by the sense that it's senseless it's illogical it's insane We keep doing the same thing we've always done, expecting that we're going to get something we haven't always gotten, but we do. It's vanity. It's vanity to try to cure discontentment by feeding it more of what's already not satisfying it. You get that, right? Like if your kitchen doesn't satisfy you, a nicer kitchen will not satisfy you. If if a car doesn't satisfy you, a slightly nicer car is not going to satisfy you. It will give you temporary joy, right? There is a temporary payoff when it's like, oh, this is nicer. But it doesn't deliver you into long-term strength. In fact, when you feed your dissatisfaction, it only grows, The more you feed it, the stronger it becomes. If what you have doesn't give you contentment, more of it's not going to do the job. This thinking, this thinking that I'm describing, we all have it. We all struggle with it. This is, in many ways, one of the bitter fruits that comes from our sin from the fact that we've been cut off from God, the source of all that is good, the one that we truly desire. And so instead of turning to God, we turn to things that aren't God, and we ask those things to be God for us, to meet the needs only God can meet, to to satisfy the desires only God can satisfy. The Bible calls this worldliness. Church people, a lot of times when they talk about worldliness, they they talk about bad things out in the world. You know, don't be worldly. What they mean is don't go to movies or don't go to those bars or don't hang out with those people, right? Because those people are bad influences. The Bible's perception of worldliness isn't the bad stuff out there. Worldliness is the bad impulse in here that tries to replace God with things that aren't God. It's to look to the things of the world... And ask those things to meet the deepest desires only God can meet. So we look to jobs and we look to, to entertainment and, and we look to, to um, sports and gambling and, and food. And, and, and some of these are bad things, some of these are good things, but they're all just things. None of them can actually do what God can do or be what God can be. And that's why the gospel, the good news of Jesus, calls us out of our worldliness it calls us out of our worldliness and into godliness godliness is when our hearts are centered not on the world but on god that we look to god to be god and we lean into god to meet the needs only god can meet right it is a response of love and trust to god's love and his promises now we got to because our text 1 Timothy 6 addresses this i think it's worth addressing this morning there have been really since paul's day 2000 years ago all the way up till today right it, it's absolutely true today that that there are those um, who are going to use the gospel to sanctify worldliness in other words they're going to make their worldliness sound spiritual They try to use grace as a way to empower their greed. They see God as a means to an end instead of God as the glorious end that he is. Today we call these guys uh, preachers of the prosperity gospel. Um, I'm not going to name them. We're not going to spend time talking about that. I will tell you that some of the biggest churches in America uh, are led by guys who preach what's called the prosperity gospel. They basically say you can have your Jesus and you can have your, your greed too. In fact, Jesus is happy to feed your greed. Um, uh, yeah, you want, you want things to satisfy you? Cool. God will give you more and more and more things if you just have enough faith, right? Jesus, in fact, isn't opposed to your greed. He gave you that greed so that you would ask for more because God loves to give you more, right? What father wouldn't want to bestow his riches on his children, especially if that father is a king? He wants to cover you with the glory and the riches of his kingdom. If you have a need, he wants to meet it. If you have a hunger, he wants to feed it. If you have a desire for more, he wants to give you more. That's the message, And man, it sure sounds American and and like, ooh, that sounds great. And if you don't have more, after you ask, of course, the problem isn't with God. The problem is you don't have enough faith. There's a problem with you. If you ask God for health and you're unhealthy, there's a problem with you. If you ask God for money and and you don't end up with more money, then there's a problem with you, right? Maybe you're not not actualizing it, speaking it into reality. Uh, And in fact, maybe you're not taking steps of faith. And ironically, the step of faith always comes around to the same thing. If you want to take a step of faith to prove to God you're worthy to be blessed, you need to give. Because when you give, you'll be blessed. And by the way, you need to give to God, which means you need to give to me which is why most prosperity gospel preachers are worth tens of millions of dollars. And then they promise you that when you give, God will multiply it so that you too can live this lavish lifestyle like they do. See, Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. This is nothing new, right? In verse 5, listen, in verse 5, he's talking about people who are, are obsessed with constant friction among people they are people of depraved minds and depraved of truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain they're imagining that god is a means to an end that god doesn't mind simply being the pass through that the real blessing isn't him his love his presence his his blessing the real blessing is what he gives and god doesn't mind at all if if, if you just kind of manipulate, like, I'll be religious so I can get something good. I'll do good things so I can get good things in response. I will, I will be a blessing to somebody so that I can receive a blessing that I really want. We all know that's not love. That's not relationship. Can you imagine if your spouse did that or your friend? If they approached you and they were like, hey, I'm going to be really, really cool to you and nice to you because I hope I get something in return. That's not love. That's manipulation. That's not genuine relationship. That's deceptive. And in the end, it, it actually undermines love. It destroys trust. Paul says these are people of depraved minds. They, they look at God not as the ultimate blessing, but as a way to try to get a hold of a blessing apart from God, right? I'm going to manipulate God so I can get what he gives instead of approaching God, right? Now, here's the thing. You won't hear prosperity gospel preachers preaching these verses, right? Take a look again at verses um, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs Um, I want you to notice from the text doesn't say they might fall into a snare and a trap it says they already have It's not that the love of money might lead you into trouble. The love of money is the trouble. Greed is its own trap. And it brings its own judgment. When we give ourselves over to the love of money, when we think that that money can do for us what only God can do, when we start looking to our ability to leverage money for our security, our significance, our rest, our worthiness of love, things that can only be met in our relationship with God. And we try to leverage money toward those things, we're already in the trap. We're already in the snare. And as a result, we will have, as, as he says, we will have many senseless and harmful desires. We will hurt ourselves, those that we love, And the things that we care about. Listen, worldliness isn't something that can be sanctified. God doesn't bless our desire to be blessed apart from God, as if that could actually happen. God wants to deliver us from our worldliness, not bless our worldliness. He wants us to to be dependent on Him, not pridefully independent from Him. He wants to give us the fullness of life, but He only gives that fullness. In relationship with himself, not apart from himself, because it would be impossible to do so. See, there's a very different path to find the fullness of life. It's not that godliness is a means to gain. Godliness is great gain when it is combined with contentment. See, instead of trying to satiate our desire with more stuff, we're supposed to allow those desires to lead us to the God who actually satisfies those desires. Look at verses six and seven. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. All right, so so Paul gives us a very, very different equation, right? Instead of, of what I have plus a little more gives me what I want, he says, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. That's a very different way of approaching life. That is a very different equation for approaching this stuff, right? Instead of, of, of giving us uh, promises that God wants us to be financially prosperous, he gives us insight in how to be spiritually and emotionally prosperous, which is of way better value, right? Right? If you have to choose between spiritual and emotional prosperity and financial prosperity, you'd be a fool to choose financial prosperity instead, right? This is real prosperity. This is the genuine fullness of life. This is what you're actually craving, right? Godliness plus contentment is great gain. So let's talk about those words, godliness. What, is it, what does it mean to be godly? Well, it's the opposite of worldly. It means to be humbly and joyfully dependent on God, relating to God, um, dependent on God. The, the Greek word for, for godliness, eusebia, is combined of you, and, and, and the, which means good, that's the prefix, and sabia, the root, means reverence or, or awe or response. And the idea is that we actually see God and respond to God. That's what godliness is. Godliness is when we see God's strength and we respond in trust. It's when we hear God's promises and we respond in faith. It's when we see his beauty and, and we respond with awe. It's when we, we um, see him as king and creator and we respond with submission. It is a heart that responds to the goodness of God. That's what godliness is, right? Don't think of godliness as your performance for God. That's not what it is. It's your response to God. Godliness isn't measured by how well you're doing. Godliness is measured by how honestly you're responding. Because you can have really, really moral, religious people who aren't godly at all, they're just full of bitterness. They're full of performance and bitterness. What we're talking about is a heart that actually responds to God, right? That's godliness, is, is this genuine response, right? So you take godliness and 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 you add to it contentment. So you take this heart that is 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 it loves God in responds to his love, right? And 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 you add to it contentment. Now this word, the Greek word for contentment here is interesting. It, it, when I looked it up, it's translated in one of two ways and it's split 50-50 throughout the New Testament. It's It's translated contentment, obviously, like in our passage, but it's also translated as sufficiency. That which is sufficient. So you take a heart that responds to God and you add to it a contentment that sees God as sufficient. That he gives me what I need. He provides what I want. He is the source of the good that I crave to be satisfied. See, when our desire for God's love and presence is met by his love and presence, we are satisfied. The desires are satiated in his love. We are filled with the very thing we desire. Here's the thing. You try to feed this desire with stuff and you will only crave more stuff. You feed this desire with God's love, and you'll be satisfied. You'll be content. You're not using God to get something from God, you're meeting with God to be loved by God. And it's in that love that your deepest desires are met. And Paul says, this results in great gain. I love that there's a play on words in, in the original. He's saying, you know, the false teachers say godliness is a means to gain. He's like, ah. You know, godliness with contentment, a genuine heart response to the love of God leads to great gain. Uh, the word great in, uh, in the Greek is megas. Mega gain right it is just like gain upon gain upon gain it is so much more prosperous than what you think you need right you think your bonus is going to make you happy this will make you joyful beyond that you think a vacation will bring you rest? This will bring you soul rest more refreshing than anything that vacation can give you. You think a new car is going to make you feel important? The significance that comes from being loved by the king of the universe will lift you up and empower you and give you a sense of worthiness more than anything that a position, a status, a title, or an experience could ever give it is megas it is gain beyond anything promised from those false promises so you can chase stuff all day long to try to find the fullness of life but you're going to be like a hamster on a wheel you're going to work really really hard and you're not going to get anywhere right you're just going to spin and spin and spin i like how matt chandler puts it he says we are infatuated with the stuff of future garage sales that's how we spend our lives, right? We are trying to get more and more stuff, thinking somehow that's going to be the gain we need, and as soon as we get it, it just becomes what we have, and we just need more. Listen, y'all, we can get off the hamster wheel. We can do that. You don't have to keep believing the lie. You don't have to keep chasing the stuff. You can sit in the presence of God, You don't have to make yourself worthy. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to solve some problem or work your way up to some religious experience. The God of grace invites you this very moment to sit in his presence and to respond to his love. He is the giver of all good gifts, a good father. The one who meets our deepest longings for good. And he wants to enrich you with his love. Listen to me, the richest person isn't the one who has the most stuff. It's the one who's most profoundly satisfied with who they are and what they have. So the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength is my strength, not the joy of my stuff, or the joy of getting more of it, so how do I fix my discontentment, as we kind of wrap this up, how do we, um, how do we address this, right, because listen, we all have broken wanters, you know what I'm saying, like, like, your wanter doesn't stop wanting, I don't know if you've noticed that, you can't, like, there's no off switch, like, where's my want? Click, okay, enter. Give me, give me a break, right? Our wanters are broken, and they're continually going. and And most of us, um, I, we just spend most of our time trying to turn it off. Right? Like, if I could just find the switch, then it would all be cool. How do I shut it down? But here's the challenge: you can't turn your wanter off because God gave it to you. Your wanter was actually a gift from God. And you're like, it's a horrible gift. Not when it's used right. Um, Augustine, I'm going to roughly quote him, said, um, St. Augustine, wait, old dude, uh, said, I am continually restless until I find my rest in you. Your wanter drives you to what truly satisfies. Your wanter is continually creating within you a discontent that will keep you moving toward what satisfies. The problem is we keep moving toward the wrong things. That's the problem. The problem isn't the, the, the desire. The problem is what we're trying to feed the desire. We keep trying to feed our desire for God with the stuff God made. Right? So, so the problem isn't the wanter. You, you can't turn it off. You can't talk to it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't reason with it. But you can... Redirect it. You can't shut it down, but it's like a compass that's broken that's always pointing in the wrong direction. There is a way to reset it so that it points toward what actually gives satisfaction, right? God's presence, His goodness, the joy of His love. This is not an act of the will. Remember, you are not designed to to perform for God, to man up for God, you're called to respond to God. That, that's how all genuine heart change happens, not, not from my determination to change for God, but my humble response to God, right? And so how do we get our want realigned realign with what actually satisfies? We get it to respond to God. Y'all, we already know this. Like, this is the plot of 90% of Hallmark Christmas movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're just out of Christmas season. Some of y'all are into that stuff, and you watch. They're like every season, they come out with a whole new set of movies. They're the same plot repackaged in the same way, right? You got a guy who grew up in a small town, and and, and he hit it big, right? He was able to get out of that town, and, and, and he's a big success, right? Or it's a her, right? It, it's a guy or a girl, and, and, and she's going to come home for Christmas, back to the small town, but only quickly, because we've got a big deal that's going down, and I have to be really, so I'm walking around, she's walking around with her phone, and, 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 you know, and then, of course, there's always the neighbor, the hot dude who's like construction, or the hot girl who's now a barista, right? And they're like, oh, hey, I think, oh, you're that neighbor? You really grew up, right? There's always that. And then, but, but you know, we're so busy and important, we can't spend time actually talking to this person because we're only in town for a few minutes until, of course, the snowstorm, <laughs> which locks the entire town down, and I'm stuck in the coffee shop with the barista, Right? And I'm stressing because I can't get a signal and I'm missing the important meeting. And I'm so important and I'm not going to get the money. But then I discover that, that I can actually relax and have a conversation with this person, um, whether they're the carpenter or the barista, and, and suddenly I'm in love and they're in love. And, and, and then the small town isn't so small and the rustic life isn't so rustic. And, and then the Uber shows up and I'm like, you just keep going. I have everything I want here, Right? you it's a silly story. Here's what we miss. The reason we want to see that story over and over and over again is because it's true. It's a true story. The job doesn't satisfy, love does. The success doesn't satisfy, love does. All the attention and, and graduating and becoming... An important person doesn't satisfy. Love does. The reason that story appeals to us is because we crave to experience it. And I'm not talking about, you know, the, the infatuation of romantic love. I'm talking about the genuine experience of true love. Y'all, we have the greatest story ever told. We have a God who loved us enough to come down to us to rescue us a God who didn't wait for us to earn our way into his presence, to fix ourselves, to become worthy of his attention. He didn't wait for us to make ourselves lovely to him in some ways. He loved us in spite of our sin. He loved us in spite of our rebellion. He loved us even though every single one of us committed cosmic treason against him and tried to replace him with the stuff he created instead of actually worshiping him but he was humble enough to meet us where we were. He didn't demand that we work our way to him. He came to us and, and, and God became man and he lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death we deserve to die. He took the consequence of our sin. He stepped into the ruin that was our due and he died in our place so that he could deliver us from the consequence And bring us into the benefit of his resurrection, he could invite us home. That's the greatest love story ever told. That love will realign our wanters, that love has the power to reset the true north of our hearts. That love has the ability to deliver us from the insanity of chasing things that can't satisfy and actually deliver us into a joy that does. And that God invites you this morning to respond. Because that's what He does, He is infinitely patient and always available. He is the God of the universe, but he is not distracted from you because he has infinite attention. He can pay attention to everything, including you, and he's inviting you to sit with him at the table of grace and be loved, that you might receive outpouring of his goodness as you simply trust him and respond to him he's initiated in love towards you and he simply asks you to receive that love and respond to it to receive that grace and and be made rich by it so i have i'm going to wrap up with this this is the uh a practical way because i don't know about you but i i find myself my wanter sometimes spins out of control and 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 the dissatisfaction just lodges in my heart a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And it robs me of joy. And, and I have a hard time. Like, I get mad at myself. You ever do that? Like, stop that, right? You try to rebuke yourself. You try to argue with yourself. You try to tell yourself, I should be satisfied. This is good enough, right? That never works. Never works. So I want to give you uh, a practical thing that you can do that will actually help you, I think engage. Um, The truths of the the things that we're talking about in a a very practical way. This is just, and this is Steve, right? So this is stuff I've had to learn how to do myself, and I'm still learning how to do. I think it might be helpful to you. If it's not, praise God, find something else, okay? But if it is, um, then may it be a blessing to you. You're going to have to trust me a little bit to do this, though. All right, you guys with me? You're like, not a chance. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) But if you are, so what I want to do is I want to teach you how to pray in a way that engages your imagination. And it might feel a little bit weird, especially for those of you who are like, I only pray with my head, sometimes with my mouth, right? I just speak truths. And, and the reality is we're holistic beings. We are thinkers, feelers, imaginers. And I, I think we can sometimes engage the truths that we know in more powerful ways if we learn how to engage these truths with our imagination, So, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you an exercise in gratitude that I have found to be very powerful when I'm struggling with discontent. When the little green gremlin shows up and it's attacking my heart, I do this. Like, literally, I do this. And so, here's what I want you to do. If if you trust me enough, close your eyes. If you don't, keep your eyes open. And that's fine. But what I want you to do is I want you to call to mind something that makes you feel grateful. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be crazy, big, or significant. But it has to be something that actually kind of awakens that feeling of gratitude in your heart. And in fact, it can be a tiny thing. But I would need you to picture it. Like, in your mind, I need you to picture it. You got it? Okay, hold that thing, and now add another. What's another thing that gives you a sense of gratitude? Gratitude that gives you a sense of, of like just, you got that one? Good, now hold those two things, add another. Okay. Again, they don't have to be huge things. There's no pressure. They be little things. All right. So you should have three now. Go ahead and add another. Do you see them? I would recommend that you do four to Six. If you get too big, you can't keep them all in your mind's eye. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of those things you just collected and I want you to lay them on the table of grace and I want, to picture, I want you to picture yourself in front of the God who gave them to you. I want you to picture yourself laying these things before the God who is the giver of good gifts and tell him thank you. Express your gratitude to the God who gave you the good gifts. That's it. You just said a prayer. You just said a prayer of gratitude to God. I don't know if you feel any different. I often do. Not not like world like night to dark, but incremental. Like it just has an impact on me that it, it just kind of quiets the the dissatisfaction a little bit takes the edge off of the need for more and it awakens a little joy. Because here's the thing gratitude kills discontentment. You can't be full of gratitude and discontent at the same time. Gratitude is the opposite impulse. In fact, gratitude is the foundation of contentment. When I'm grateful, I'm content and I'm full. I'm feeding my heart what it actually needs, which is love. And by bringing those things into the presence of God and actually thanking him for them, you're not looking to those things to give you joy, you're looking to the God who gave you those things. Because that's where your need for love is satisfied. The gifts are merely expressions of his love. He's the one who actually loves and meets you in it. Y'all, if we're going to be strong, if we're going to renew our strength, we have to renew our joy. And if we're going to renew our joy, we have to renew our experience of God's love. We need to find our joy in the Lord, not in our stuff. All right, I'm going to close this word of prayer. And then we're going to share communion together. And uh, and then we are going to um, sing our way out of here. But first, let me let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the giver of good gifts, that you love us that you are in fact the king the one who owns all things the one who created all things the one who wants to give us all things but the greatest thing you want to give us is yourself you want us to find our deepest satisfaction in the outpouring of your love not in the gifts that you give us but in the heart that gives them Lord, will you give us an experience of that love this morning? Will you reawaken our deep sense of gratitude that we are loved so profoundly that you were willing to pay a price you didn't have to pay so we could receive a blessing we could never earn? Give us a a heart that will respond to that love with a responding love. Give us a trust that responds to those promises. Give us a desire for more of you, the one who truly satisfies. Meet us where we are and take us to where we can't take ourselves. We trust you. We thank you we love you. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all of God's people said Amen.